This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Are you tired of lugging around heavy, bulky tree stands, whether you're using a climber or a hang-on and would prefer to hunt lighter and more mobile? If you said yes, then you need to check out the Tethered Mantis Saddle and Predator platform. For me, this uh, setup has done a couple things for me over the past year and a half. I've definitely been more mobile, lighter. And when you get into those situations where maybe the wind switches on you or whatever, and in years past, you didn't want to pull all your gear just because you didn't want to move it, didn't want to make additional noise and things of that nature. This kind of solved all those problems for me. And I'm able to kind of tear down quickly, make a move if I need to make a move and get set up uh, without losing a whole lot of hunting time. The other thing I do a lot more of with this is actually I'll still hunt my way through or just kind of go into an area where I'd like to check out scout with all my stuff on my back. It's super light. So I don't really even notice it. And I hunt to where I'm going or I still hunt through to where I'm ultimately going to set up, which is a great benefit has been a great benefit to me so far this year. If you're interested in all these things, then you need to head over to tetherednation.com. Check out all their information related to saddle hunting and release your inner tree ninja. First thing I do in the morning before a hunt is, of course, I have to have my morning coffee, and I'm sure most of you out there probably feel the same. Make sure you're filling your mug with Skull Brew Coffee, as it is the only coffee company that is both 2% for conservation certified, and of course, donates 10% of their profits to conservation organizations who are helping us to secure the future of our wild places. So head to SkullBrewCoffee.com and choose between three killer roasts of coffee and know that you are supporting conservation with every sip. All right, if you listen to this uh, podcast for any length of time, you guys know that I am good friends with all the guys over at Exodus. And I want to give you a quick heads up that you should be checking out some of their content if you haven't already. They have a podcast out called Trail Cam Radio, and they release new episodes every Tuesday. So the day before you listen to this one, you could be listening to that one as well. They've done some deep dives with some great guests. Uh, you'll you'll recognize some of these names as Jeff Sturgis, Dan Enfault, and the Hunting Public. And they also jump into and talk to some uh, less-known hunters who 
consistently are getting it done many times on public land. Uh, if you prefer to watch podcasts, if you're looking for some video content, uh, they have a YouTube channel as well, and that is packed, of course, with great videos and interviews. One of the most popular ones they did is a, a candid interview with John Eberhart, and uh, if you know anything about John, you always get the straight dope from him. And for my, for specifically my PA listeners, uh, they just recently posted a public land big woods interview with Steve Shirk, which I, which I consumed, and it is pretty awesome. This dude's killing hammers and getting on giant deer in in, in uh, Pennsylvania, so it's absolutely a a must listen. So if you're looking for more whitetail content especially here during the course of the season. You just can't get enough. Uh, be sure to head over to their podcast, Trail Cam Radio, and their YouTube channel, Exodus Trail Cameras, and drop them a subscription or review and let them know that Truth from the Stand sent you. If you're also in the market for a trail camera, uh, over the last four years, of course, Exodus has consistently showed they build quality trail cameras that flat out just work. Of course, the best trail camera warranty, period. Every single camera is backed by a five-year warranty and even comes with a theft and damage coverage. That's right, five years, literally half a decade, you'll be covered by the Exodus five-year warranty, but more than likely you won't need it because the cameras are built to last. Hello and welcome to the Truth From Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 143. Today I'm joined by my good buddy, Josh Prophet, and we discuss getting back in the game with mature public land deer when your plans get blown up early in your season. So stay tuned. All right, all right. What's going on out there, folks? Hope you're doing well. Hope you're doing fine. Happy Wednesday to you. We're rolling into another podcast, and the season is rolling right along. It's like I get a little, you know, for me at least, the season opened up mid-September, and so this time of year, I'm looking at the the calendar, going, man, end of October starting to approach. You know, the, our favorite time of year. You know, for a lot of us, the the I know there's some of you folks out there listening that prefer to hunt October. Hashtag Greg Litzinger. And, uh, I believe Johnny Utah actually even prefers to hunt, hunt October as well. Uh, but this time of year, I'm kind of starting to look at the calendar going, man, it feels like it just got here and we're just a handful of weeks away from, you know, things not fully wrapping up cause we have late season and stuff like that. Um, but it's really the, the getting's really just about ready to start getting good here. Uh, it seems, you know, I know last week when I was out, there were some scrapes and some sign getting laid down. And I think I talked about, I had a good encounter um, over, over a set of scrapes, uh, last week, um, which was, which was super cool. And I have yet to get back to hunt that spot. I had some opportunities this week with that cold front that came through, just didn't get a chance to get out. I was, uh, I was at work and just couldn't break away from, from the office. So unfortunately I missed all that. And then Saturday when I had an opportunity to hunt, um, I had a, a, a wedding, uh, this past weekend that I had to go to Saturday evening. So I got a morning hunt in, which I'll talk about here in a second. Um, but the, the morning, the, the wind was, was not good for me to hunt that, uh, hunt that particular spot. Um, it's really that particular area is unless I get just the perfect wind, I probably can't hunt it in the mornings. Uh, the access in it is, is somewhat tough and it really only works for evenings because <clears throat> it's kind of surrounded by some agriculture and the way you kind of access it, um, is, is through that, is through that ag in, in, in many cases. Um, you know, at least what I understand right now, it's like my plan today, I'm actually recording this on Sunday as I have a little bit of time here this, this weekend. 
Um, but my plan today is uh, we're getting some rain and I'm actually going to go out and hit that piece because I don't know a whole lot about it. I've talked about it in the past. I found these scrapes where I thought I might find scrapes. I'd set up on it. I saw that deer, that buck that came in and worked those scrapes while I was sitting, you know, standing on midway up the tree on my sticks and I've yet to get back in there. And so the plan is, is since I haven't got back in to hunt it is since we're going to get some rain is to go in there. I'm not going to scout it super hard because I'm pretty sure I know where he's bedded. I, I think there's two possible bedding uh, positions in this particular section of this public. And what I'm, uh, what I'm mainly doing is going in and I'm going to check and see, are, you know, are these scrapes still, you know, pretty active if so great. And then I'm going to kind of dive into what I talked about before, which is, you know, try to find the, the tree location that I want to set up in. And I really want to find two different trees because I can basically hunt this area on any type of West wind and I can hunt, hunt it with a North west wind or a southwest wind it really doesn't it really doesn't matter um so i need to basically go in and find two trees one that i can set up for a north and one i can set up for more of a southwest wind um east does not work any type of east on that piece is not going to work uh what whatsoever um so those are really the wind conditions that i need to get and i did get them yesterday evening would have been my best opportunity if i'm not mistaken to get in there and it just wasn't uh, just wasn't in the cards so yesterday morning I did get a chance to go out and I know I had talked about on this uh, one swamp piece that I've been hunting <clears throat> a couple of these deer that I wanted to kill have seemed to move on, move on, which wasn't a surprise to me because the one piece of the swamp where I had pictures of them uh, during the summer and early fall, the uh, it's the easiest part to access, which is why I was really kind of going in, you know, being kind of aggressive in, you know, September and the first week or so of October, because I knew eventually those deer were going to move on. Um, not due to like transitioning because I got pictures of them after they went hard horn and stuff like that. So I knew they were still in the area and that piece of the public is the easiest to access. So I knew eventually at some point those deer were probably going to move on because there was going to be a lot of people there. It's the easiest way to get in. Um, and so there's a really easy two track to kind of follow. And I knew it was likely going to move the deer to somewhere and I wasn't sure, sure where. And I, and I talked about this in the last podcast in the upfront where I went and scouted the other half. I bumped the deer that I was, that I was trying to hunt or one of the two deer I was trying to hunt, hung a camera. So to this past weekend was the first opportunity for me to really get back in there and try to put on a hunt, had a really good wind, uh, for the, for this particular setup. I had really good access. Uh, access was nice and clean, got to the edge of the swamp to where I could literally look across the swamp and I could see the other, you know, one of the other locations I had set up on pre, uh, previously, but there was just, you know, a, a small body of water that's nasty that kind of separates the two sides. Um, and so as I was walking in there, you know, I, I you know, I usually walk in with a red light. Uh, so, you know, I'm not giving away my location. And of course, you know, it's just a little lower impact that makes me feel better. I don't know that, you know, I'm assuming deer can see the white light when I'm, when I'm walking through, cause just cause it's a, a distinct contrast. So I like to use a red light when I'm walking in, but I could see other people walking with their lights on. Now they were on the other side of the swamp. So I didn't really, really care. Cause I, the deer I was trying to hunt, they weren't going to come from over there. So I wasn't too worried about it. So they stopped right along the edge of that swamp where I was at and their wind wasn't going to bother me either. And then they started kind of trudging through the swamp and I was like, man, what is going on? And so I flashed my light at them. You know, I knew they saw me uh, cause I could actually hear them talking. Now they weren't being, you know, trying to be quiet whatsoever. And I, I could hear them say, there's a guy in a tree over there. And so I assumed like their lights went out and I didn't hear anything for like a little while. And I assumed that they had just kind of made their way to wherever they were going to go, seeing that I was sitting there. Well, then, you know, it's just about daybreak and I see them flip their lights back on. 
and now they're walking through the water toward me. So now it kind of dawned on me that I don't either they're, they're deer hunting, they're walking across the swamp, which doesn't make sense. Cause there's a couple different ways you could get in without walking across the swamp. And so I flashed my light again at the, at them to let them know that I was, that I was there. And the lights kind of kept moving. They didn't come the whole way across. I wasn't sure what they were doing. And then, and then they stopped and they were still kind of on the edge. And I was like, all right, cool. If the dude wants to hunt that other edge, that's fine. Like he's not bothering me at all. Uh, the his wind, his scent isn't going to blow over here. Like we're, we're good to go. Like no, no problem. And we were only separated probably by like where he, where I saw his light was probably, you know, 75, 80 yards. But as I said, there's a swamp between us. The deer that he was going to see weren't going to come from where I was at. The deer I were going to potentially see and were hunting were, were coming more from the north and I guess the west side of the property. And he was on the east side of the property. So it wasn't, you know, we weren't going to booger each other's hunt up at all. Well, we get to daybreak and I don't see the guy anywhere. You know, um, I'm on my binos looking in trees to see if I can see where he's at. And uh, all of a sudden you hear boom you know, guns going off. And then I realized that there was waterfowl hunters around this swamp and they weren't the only two, you know, but this guy happened to set up, you know, when I finally found him in the swamp, he was set up 50 yards away from me shooting in my direction, which was not a great feeling. So in the morning, I'm now getting peppered with BBs landing on me, um, as the duck hunter, that guy specifically was shooting at my direction toward me. And it wasn't like he didn't know where I was at because I let him know twice where I was at. And I heard him confirm that he knew where I was at, yet he still was shooting in my direction. So I guess the lesson here is, is that, you know, we all have access to this public land. Um, You know, I ended up just getting down, of course. I was like, yeah, I'm out of here. Um, And ended up just throwing my saddle and stuff on my back. And I started hiking through the swamp and found another setup close to this, you know, doe bedding area. Uh, in general, because I figured, you know, if nothing else, I'll just try to see if I can't, you know, put a doe down. I, w- I would be lying if I said it didn't, you know, if I said it didn't bother me that, you know, not the fact that w- he was hunting so close to me, that wasn't the, that wasn't the issue necessarily. It was more the issue of just the lack of respect of I had already got there, set up, let him know where I was at. He recognized where I was at. I could hear him <laughs> confirm that he knew where I was at. And then he still proceeded not to not only set up right on top of me, but then also shoot a gun in my direction. You know, we all have access to these public lands and, and and we're all thankful for that. But I would just urge folks to be respectful, you know, whenever you're out there, when someone's in your, like, we don't own claim to any specific spot. It's, it's a first come first serve situation. And if you set up right up underneath of someone knowing that they're there, you're kind of a douchebag. Um, you know, and, and fortunately nobody got hurt. Like I didn't get hurt, you know, as he was, you know, of course I wasn't going to get hit with anything high powered. Um, I was far enough away, but I of course didn't know where there where any other foul, you know, water or waterfowl hunters were at either. So I didn't know if there was anyone closer to me or not. Um, this guy clearly didn't care if he was shooting in my direction. So I'd assume he didn't care if he was shooting at someone else's direction either. So there could have been someone right underneath me. No clue. So <clears throat> I ended up getting down checking out another spot, setting up, uh, I ended up seeing one, one coyote kind of blow through the bedding area. Um, it got pretty, it, you know, came right underneath my tree. Um, and so at that point my hunt was kind of over between the, the, the waterfowl hunters and a coyote running through the bedding area. It pretty much killed any type of, of movement that I was going to possibly see. So I ended up just pulling my stuff and, and, and getting out of there, which was probably like around 1030 or so and, and, and called it a day. And then of course, had a wedding in the, uh, in the evening. The real bummer of it though, was, is that the camera that I had on a scrape, 
on that side of the swamp, I, I had to pass it in order to get to the first tree that I was setting up in the, the one that I was getting shot at in. And when I checked it, <clears throat> there, it wasn't like it was getting run over with deer, but I had pictures every day of bucks walking by that scrape. I didn't actually get any pictures of them hitting the scrape or checking it out. I don't know why it's kind of weird, but they were all walking right by it and it was all buck pictures. And there were two that were kind of a buck came in from like the side and, and, and kind of was walking almost like, like almost dead away from the camera. So it's, you know, the camera doesn't, the sensor doesn't have as much, you know, body movement to pick up because it's, you know, uh, p- picking up just the ass end of the deer walking, walking past, you know, at a distance. And when I pull it in, it looked like it was the dude, one of the two dudes I was after. Um, I, I couldn't confirm. I just, I could see frame. I couldn't see points or anything like that. And it looked like it was about the right size. Um, so that was kind of like the big bummer. Cause I, and I saw, I pulled that card, got up in my tree, had a, had an adapter for my phone and looked through it really quick. And I was like, Oh, awesome. I was like, he's coming. Like he's been through here. At least I assumed it was him. He's been through here and it's all buck pictures. So I know that I'm in the right spot. The only bummer is, is I think I need to move back, you know, to the north a little further because the direction they were traveling and the time that they were coming through, it's really probably going to be more of an evening setup. I didn't have a lot of uh, day or not, not daylight movement, but uh, uh, morning movement in this particular area. So, you know, I think it's going to be more of an evening spot if I get back to hunt it. And that's kind of what I'm playing now uh, is, is what places, you know, what, what areas can I get back to, to set up in before I leave for, for Iowa? Cause I really only have to the end of this month. So that means I really have this weekend. And then is there one more weekend? I think this might be the last weekend upcoming that I have to actually get out in the woods. Yeah. This will be the last weekend, I guess the 25th or 26th, 27th. Um, and then I'll be leaving for, for Iowa. So that's why today, after I get done, you know, recording this, why I'm doing it on a Sunday, cause I'm going to have a lot of stuff I need to get done this week. I'm going to essentially wrap this thing up and then I'm going to jump in the truck and head out to a couple places, check a handful of cameras. It's going to rain. So it should, you know, clean out any of the places I kind of walk into and then try to figure out what my plan is going to be for next weekend. Um, cause it's really the last weekend that I'm going to have, uh, to hunt any of these deer, at least in the October ish, you know, November ish time, time frame, um, as I'll get back and I'll have, you know, a little bit of time as gun season will get ready to come in here in Pennsylvania there in, in, in uh, later November. So that's really the plan today is to get out and do a little scouting, see if I can't make a plan for next week, hit it. And then, uh, and then I'll probably be wrapped up for the most part here in Pennsylvania, at least until we get to the, the Thanksgiving timeframe. So with that, we're going to go ahead and move on to the meat of this show, which uh, I have a cool show for you today. I have my buddy, Josh profit back on. Um, did a podcast with him a few a few months ago now, it, we where we really talked about his strategy, you know, his aggressive tactics to to hunting public land, and what we talked about in, in, in that episode and just in general, if you follow Josh on Instagram, is Josh kind of hunts a very large tract of public land in Kentucky, but he kind of hunts it like he owns it. He runs a ton of cameras, he knows every nook and cranny of it, and it's you know several thousand acres, um, and he gets on really big deer. You know, I think last year he ended up arrowing a a 140 something, but he uses all tr- uh, traditional equipment. And uh, this year he had a, a few true giants on on camera and that he was watching, visibly watching, you know, whether he was, you know, glassing or whatever the case was or scouting, whatever the case was, he knew where there were a handful of giants that were living. And when I say giants, I'm talking, you know, some of these bad boys were, um, you know, boon, or were, were boon caliber. Um, and the unfortunate thing is, is during in that area or in his area, at least, and I know in areas near where he lives in Kentucky, 
EHD had 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 hit pretty hard in, in, in certain areas, and and Josh was uh, no exception. His area was no exception. And when he was scouting, he's actually run across a couple of those deer um, that he had been watching for some time, and they were netting out. You know, he ended up finding the skulls and stuff like that, and he was able to measure them, and they were netting out in the seventies and the hundred, you know, one hundred and eighty some odd inches, and. So, you know, basically his game plan at the beginning of the year was, you know, he was going after these, you know, this, you know, particular group of deer. There were a handful of them that he was, you know, targeting and going after. Um, and what he realized before his season really got started, I mean, he had some early season hunts as Kentucky opens early, but he figured out pretty quickly that a lot of his deer that he was looking at and had been watching and following and <clears throat> been making a game plan for were dying. And so, you know, as he hit the the meat of his season, he was forced to kind of reevaluate his plan and kind of start making a new plan to a degree. And I thought that this was applicable because, you know, maybe EHD hasn't hit your area or hasn't hit mine, of course, here. Um, but we oftentimes make plans, you know, with off-season scouting, which is great. And even when we get into the season, right, we're watching deer and then all of a sudden the shift happens, whether it's, you know, whether they're shifting their home range, you know, because they're, they go hard horned or whether the food sources are changing or whatever the case is. And we're forced to kind of adjust, right? You have a, you know, it's like the Mike Tyson saying, like everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face, right? And it seems to happen to most of us hunters in a lot of ways, especially if you're hunting public land, because you're dealing with not just the animal, you know, not just with the deer changing, you know, in terms of their behavior, their biology, and them transitioning areas because of that, but they're the food that they're, you know, that's changing on public. And then of course, the hunting pressure that will, you know, help enhance some of those changes. Um, and so we're always dealing with that change. And I think, you know, I, I've experienced this, of course, this year where it's like, I had a couple of deer that I knew and that I was on and I felt really good about, I knew I had to make hay early in the season, just couldn't quite make it happen. The deer kind of disappeared. And now the past couple of weeks, it's really been about making a new plan. And I would even go as far as to say, it's like, I'm almost making a new plan on a weekly basis and maybe even on a hunt to hunt basis. You know, and um, and that's a little bit what Josh talks about in 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 this session is how do you kind of go from having a plan and these goals that you set and you feel really good about it, and then all that kind of falling to to shit within the first couple weeks of the hunting season, and then you have several months of hunting left to to go, and you're starting back over from scratch, um, but you're lacking the the you know, the bulk of Intel that you had previously. So that's what we're talking about in today's show. Uh, appreciate Josh coming on again. Uh, hope you guys enjoy. And as always, thank you all for listening. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the truth from the stand deer hunting podcast. I'm joined by my buddy. You've heard from him before the, the man, the myth, the, le- the, the legend, the white tail prophet, Mr. Josh prophet. What's going on, brother? <laughs> man, I feel like you're giving me a little too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, you deserve it, brother. You deserve it. I learned tons from you, man. Every time we, we text or talk, dude, it's like, I feel like I got a, a little bit of a white tail education from you, man. So it's, uh, I think it's, I think it's well worth it. I, I don't know many people dude, that, that, uh, find as big a deer as you do on public land. And that's even like buddies that I, that I know out, out in like Iowa and you're doing it in Kentucky. And I know you got some, some good deer down there, but you know, in comparison to some of those other states, like you just you get into some monsters, dude. So I'm always I'm always envious of your ability to find good deer. Man, I uh, I really appreciate it, and you know, I'm I'm humbled. I'm really just out here having fun. So I, at the end of the day, it you know, I'm either going to find them or I'm, or I'm not, and it's 
it doesn't bother me either way. <laughs> right. <laughs> now I hear that. Well, that's probably like part of the reason why you why you do get into them, man. It's like, you know, I know you're a serious whitetail hunter, you know, just like all of our buddies in it, but you have the way you kind of approach it. It, it, it allows you to kind of, you know, I guess I'll put it this way. There's been plenty of years where I put a lot of undue pressure on myself to try to make something happen or whatever. And those were the years that I was just absolutely miserable during the season. And I just had to stop and be like, man, what am I doing to myself? You know what I mean? Where like, this is supposed to be fun. And I'm, I'm almost, you know, loathing the moment that I'm walking out into the timber because I just have a bad attitude and a bad mindset. So I've definitely, you know, taking some tips from you and some other buddies to where it's like, I try to have a positive mindset and know that whenever I go to a setup that, you know, I have confidence in the setup that I've done my homework and stuff like that. So I appreciate, you know, you passing those things along for sure. Oh yeah, man. Positive vibes all the way on my hand. Right. The, uh, the one thing I picked up from you, man, that, uh, that I know, uh, I started using this year and it's like, I had been doing it, but I didn't really recognize that I was, that I was doing it. And, um, you know, the last podcast we did, we talked a lot about just hunting pressured deer and we'll, we'll get into our topic to, today, you know, or hunting pressured deer on, you know, public land or aggressive public land tactics. And, you know, you talked a little bit about just trying to find good deer, right. And that you're really looking for areas in which mature deer want to spend time, you know, whether that's a terrain feature, a, a food source, uh, you know, a, a type of habitat or whatever the case is and not hunting a specific deer per se, but hunting mature deer and in, in the aspects of a piece of property that mature deer want to spend time around. And I actually ad- adopted that too, to where I'm hunting more terrain features. And those actually even have been my camera setups, um, during the summer and, and you know, into in fall here that I focus on those areas and lo and behold, man, it's like, I'm getting more, you know, mature deer or better deer on camera and I'm getting them more consistently and I'm not focusing on a single deer, but just like trying to hunt good deer and focusing on terrain features that good deer want to use. And I kind of credit you for that because it didn't really click with me until you and I were talking on that last podcast and you had mentioned something similar and, and that's kind of how you go about it, right? Like you're really looking for those areas where they're spending time versus a specific deer. Uh, I like stacking and I definitely stack my odds and um, you know, I just, like I always tell everybody, I can only hunt about four days a month. So, um, you know, I hunt just like a coyote for opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for me to chase one deer when I really don't have the time to do it. So, you know, I like to stack my odds as far as, you know, one, one area or an area that's got the most bucks. And then I literally just hunt for opportunity. Right. And then, and, and I mean, and the way you're able to do that, correct me if I'm wrong, is just like, man, you, you spend a lot, like if you had to divide up your hunt time versus your scout time, how, how is that kind of weighted in percentages? Like, is it 70% of your time is spent scouting and 30% of your time spent hunting? Uh, I'm going to say 80, 75 to 80% of my time I'm scouting. And, uh, you know, when I'm scouting, basically I'm, I'm cutting up the timber. I'm, I'm putting cameras out or checking cameras, but the good, you know, i run so many cameras, but the good thing about it is like, number one, I got, I got to scout out a good area for the camera. And number two, it's like a, just a constant scouting session while I'm running cameras. It's not running cameras to tell me where big deer are. It's, it's running cameras for inventory and scouting and learning along the way. And that's just always been really, really good to me. Right. That, that kind of method. Like when did you, so at what point during like your whole, you know, hunting life or whatever, you know, did the whole idea of scout more than you hunt really click because i know a lot of people talk about it and this is probably the first year that i tr- could truly say that i adopted it like i made a 
a commitment that I was like, you know what, I'm going to find more pieces this year. Cause it's kind of what you're saying. It's like, I wanted to, I wanted to stack my odds. I didn't want to be dependent on like a property or two properties. So I found a couple of different pieces that I liked, tried to find good sign. And then I ran cameras on those pieces. I tried to find the best deer I could find on those pieces. That way I have multiple places to kind of jump around, you know, to, to put some decent hunts on this year. So, so at what point for you, did it start to click where you were like, you know what, scouting more actually makes me a more efficient and better hunter at the end of the day. Man, I wasn't killing anything. And back then <clears throat> I was, I was able to hunt a lot more. So basically, you know, I would just go into an area and it would look good. I'd be like, man, you know, this looks good in here. I could see, you know, a deer coming through here and I would hang and hunt or, um, just spend a lot of time hunting and it just, man, it took me forever to kill a deer. And then it would take me a couple of two or three years in between to kill another deer. And then, so when I really started to break the timber down and really cut up the woods and get the boots on the ground, like I, okay. Like, so I would go into an area and you know, it would look good, but then all of a sudden I would try to figure out why it looked good. Okay. Does this just look good or is it really good? Okay. So if the deer's bedding here, and he's feeding here, where do I need to be? Or, um, does this just look good to me? And the deer are really not here. So until I really started wrapping my head around like why the deer were using it, mm-hmm. it never, it, it never worked out good for me. Right. Yeah. I mean that the, the, the question why it's, it's funny cause you know, all the guys I get a chance to talk to, there's a couple of different things that like all you guys have in common, which is the, the I, like super detail oriented, right? It's like the smallest things are what, you know, you, you know, guys like you are, are picking up on. And then, you know, always asking the question why, like nothing happens in a vacuum. Right. And that's one thing right. that I, you know, I try to adopt more and more. I'm still like, I'm still not there on my details. I don't think, you know, there's guys like, you know, the Don Higgins of the world and guys like that, that keep, journals literally writing journals while they're in a stand like this is the wind direction today i saw a deer do this it's like i'm not there <laughs> that's like uh some some next level i mean do you do journaling and stuff during the hunting season like are you keeping those kinds of notes on stand locations and stuff man i do i pack a journal with me um it seems like all the smart people read and write and <laughs> i haven't got I, I haven't got the reading part quite down but i do write i do write a lot and it's <laughs> It stays in my pack, so I do keep a journal and I do look back on it, and that does and it does help me out for sure. That that is the quote <laughs> of the day, right there. All the smart people reading, right? Uh, that it, uh, that that's true, man. But if you can go to the woods, man, I like to call it the three W's. If you can ask yourself like when, where, and why, like man, those three questions really answer a lot when you're standing there trying to break a piece down, like you know. Okay, so when is the deer coming through here? Mm-hmm. You know, why is he coming through here? Mm-hmm. And just trying to really break that down. And, you know, sometimes you, you, you can't figure it out. So if I can't figure it out and I'm just guessing, like, I'll move on to the next piece. But if I can figure out, like, okay, where is he coming through? Why and what time? Like, that just really gives me the confidence to sit. Right. And, man, it just <clears> – <throat> I believe more in quality quality sets than I do quantity and I haven't always been that way, but, and it's definitely, for me, it's definitely a better way. Yeah. Like, no, I, I agree with you. Like, and that's something I've started kind of doing. There's one particular area that I've, that I'm really into hunting this year. And like the other thing that I've done, um, that I'm doing to ensure the, the, the quality is that 
I've wanted to go in and I've hunted this spot once so far since the season opened, like, you know, at this point, roughly two, two and a half, two, I think two and a half weeks ago. Um, I had a good wind. I got in and, in and out really slick, you know, didn't booger anything up. He didn't show, you know, it was just a real early morning hunt. Cause he was showing me he was killable in the morning and, um, I didn't see him. I had to go to work. So I pulled out, you know, as soon as the wind started switching and starting getting funny, I got out of there before I blew anything up. And I haven't been back in there since because I knew that there was a front coming. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to wait for that front because the wind I need is on the back end of that front. I was like, I'm going to sit and I'm going to wait and hunt it that day because that'll be the best day, the best conditions for me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and so I did exactly what you said. Like I knew where he was coming through. I knew he was going from bed to food. And I knew he, I figured out that he had wind based bedding basically to the to the east i'm sorry to the west of where i was uh where i'm set up or where i was catching him on camera and i knew that he would only use a north wind in the morning you know and that would be the only time he would travel through that area in the morning he would travel on a west wind through that same area but he would only ever do it at night and those are the only two winds he would use and uh and so once i kind of put those pieces together that's when i was like kind of what you're saying it's like it gave me the confidence to go you know what i can hold off on him and hunt him when I get the opportunity, because, you know, other than those scenarios, I don't think I'll see, I, I think I have a zero chance of seeing him other than that setup, you know? So, man, I was reading something, you know, and we'll, we'll get into our our specific topic here in a second, but I was reading something where, um, that you had written, written down, I think it was on your Instagram page where you had a 200 mile scouting goal. And I wanted to ask you, where did that come from? And is that for the entire year or is that in season or is that off season miles only? So what is like, what's the time frame for the, for those miles? Um, that's from, from January to January because I don't, you know, some people know me and some people don't, but I can only go out about four days a month and just, I've realized like last year I got about 150 miles in between shed hunting and I didn't get to shed hunt very much. So mm-hmm. most of my time was, was spent cutting up land and running trail cameras that I did most of my scouting and put the 150 in, but I just learned so much more and, and, and public wise speaking of public land, man, the deer, you know, they tend to shift and man, when you, when you really get the boots on the ground, man, you just, you learn so much more walking around than what you do sitting in the deer stand. Right. Right. And so, um, so go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, I was, I did 150 last year. And I, so I decided I was going to try to up it to, to 200 this year because it seems like every year I've upped it, man, I've, I've done better every year. Nice. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to actually steal that from you this year. I don't know that I'm going to commit to 200, but I'm going to make a, a mileage <laughs> commitment and see if I can, and see if I can hit it. Cause it just made sense to me. Right. Like whenever I saw that, I was like, man, I was like, that's a great idea. I was like, cause if you just, if you just put the time in like that, walking through the woods, like exactly what you just said, it's like, you'll, especially if you do it, you know, right after the season ends and try to prioritize putting as much time in during that time as you can to understand like, where what areas of the timber the deer are using now what it doesn't help you do necessarily is learn what time of year they're necessarily using that piece of timber right that part of that comes from observation like you know during hunting season or you know scouting during hunting season like if you're not sure you know what's going on on a piece you know you know put the boots to the ground and 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 hit it and try to try to figure out where the hot sign is you know um but i was like if i can just commit to do that in the off season and and put a mileage marker out there i was you know i was like man i think it's really smart i could probably up my chances for, uh, you know, for a better season or, you know, better, better seasons as the years go on, because I'll just keep racking up the miles. But 
Speaking of the season, man, how uh, how's Kentucky treated you so far this year? Just in terms of like, have you had a couple sits in? You know, any any activity? What's what's the deal with that? The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Um, man, it's been, it's looking like it's going to be, which I don't know. It's looking like it's going to be my worst season yet. I've set, um, one, one time it was opening morning and, um, going through right now, we're having specifically where I hunt at just a real concentrated, uh, fast run through of EHD, man. It is just wiping the deer out. I've personally found right at 20 um my two number one hit list bucks i found both of them along with some other deer so it's just kind of it's not going good right now (laughs) right that's the that's the that's like the uh the understatement of the year when you're finding that many deer man And, and i know you i saw some of the some of the bone that you picked up man and those weren't those weren't any slouches too man i mean you're talking about how many of those were do you think were pushing boone Two of them are boners for sure. This last one I found, I think, is closer to 180. Um, I got him cleaned up, and I'll, I'm going to tape him this week. But he's got 20 scorable points, and he's just man, he's just a giant four or five year old deer. And uh, I mean, <laughs> he's gone now. He's sitting in my building. Right. What? Uh, now, did you have some history with with all with a lot of these deer, the ones that were you know what you would call mm-hmm. uh, you know shooter worthy? So. Typically, hunting these big, large, fast tracks of public land and running all these cameras, there's very rarely that I don't have any history with the deer. Right. Um, and the, the the two big deer I found, yes, I have two years worth of history of them. I I felt solid about the game plans I was forming for them, and it was literally in the process of trying to get the game plan wrapped around, cameras moved around, my mind wrapped around all this that we have found them dead so i'm not going to say the wind has taken been taken out of my sails but it's definitely changing the way i'm getting the field (laughs) right right so i mean for the folks out there listening this is kind of the topic that we want to talk about because you and i started texting back and forth i remember when i got that first text the first thing i thought was that you that you ended up you know one of your hit listers got hit on the road or something like that you know is initially what i had thought and then you ended up you know, it piled up somewhere along a road somewhere, and then you were out to scout. You ended up finding the body or whatever, and then you showed. And then a couple more came through, and I was like, "Well, you know, one's like maybe got hit." You know what I mean? It's like after you sent me like three or four, I was like, "All right, there's like a, obviously he's got an EHD problem or something," and that's you know what you had said. And I said, "You know, what's your plan now?" And you're, you sent back one statement, and you said, "Searching for leftovers." And you know, and I was like, dude, that's a great title for a podcast. And then it it started my wheels turning because I was like, you know, you're going through this struggle with, you know, these deer are gone, obviously, for, you know, the obvious reason of, of EHD, you know, but a lot of, you know, guys and girls will go through either that exact problem or they'll go through something where they have a deer that they're watching for a year, two years, or even just that, you know, season or that summer. 
And then all of a sudden the deer transition and, and they're gone. And, you know, it's like your season ends before it even starts. And so you have to kind of start sometimes from square one and then try to either relocate that deer, you know, or those deer that you've been watching, or you have to shift your focus and find new deer that maybe have transitioned onto the properties that you hunt or find new properties or whatever. And so that's really what I wanted to kind of talk to you about today is kind of how you go about, you know, cause you do scout like a madman, the places that you hunt, it's like, you know, like every nook and cranny of that, you know, those, those parcels. And so I wanted to get a sense from you, like what your game plan is. So I guess let's start with, you recognize now that these deer are gone, right? You know, what's the first thing you're assessing, you know, now that you kind of realize like, okay, I'm going to have to shift the focus of my, of my game plan for this year, you know, are, are the areas that you've scouted in the past, like the, in your opinion, do you still feel like they're viable, you know, areas to, to hunt or are you back to kind of, you know, glass in long range, you know, to see if there's something coming out in the crop fields to figure out what might be around an inventory. Like, where do you, where do you really start at? So it, it's so extreme here. I, I feel confident saying that where I hunt at, I'm going to say we it, minimum lost 60% of the deer, but I feel like it's more than that. Wow. If I can go out and find two or three every time and the woods smell like death, just me alone, it's bad. And I, I, I think if you're smelling a deer off EHD, it's less than a week old because the maggots, man, they just, they eat everything. They're gone. Right. They're gone in a short amount of time. So, um, I'm not giving up on where I'm hunting at. Um, I'm going to give it through October. So I'm still, I'm still running my cameras. I still do not have all my cameras out. Um, so I'm still, I'm still deploying them and I'm still checking them. And in this whole process, I'm just not seeing what I normally see. So that tells me like, I, it confirms like the deer really are dying. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was just kicking some, uh, some information off a buddy and I was like, man, it's like, it may work out this year and it may not, but like, I'm not going to roll the dice on it. Like you and I need to get a backup plan going mm -hmm. like in case, you know, this, this isn't going to work out. So currently, um, Friday, this Friday, which is two couple of days away, we're going to go, I'm going to go out before work and put a couple cameras out. And, um, I'm going to say about two or three weeks from now, I'm going to start checking all my cameras and, um, in about two or three weeks also, I'm going to switch gears totally and go about two and a half hours, the total opposite direction for on a different WMA. Hmm. Um, I just, I feel like that, 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 that's my best option is to right now to scout a new area, to put some cameras out, um, and mainly let the cameras do the work. Now I do want to wait till the deer are leaving some sign before I step this new piece. It's over 10,000 acres. I've never walked it. So obviously I'm going to wait till the deer are really leaving some heavy sign as far as, right. you know, scrapes and rubs, but I'm going to take eight or 10 cameras with me. I'm going to put lithium batteries in them and I'm going to throw them out on this new piece. I've, I've, I've been scouting for the last three or four days on Onyx from home. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we're going to have a good idea of where we're going. But so basically like, um, if everything looks like if I feel good about where I'm at now, then, you know, we're going to push forward and these 10 cameras that I put out on this new piece, I won't check them at all until the end of season. Right. Um, and if it's not looking good for this year, then I, you know, right before I take my vacation, you know, cause I'm like a coyote for opportunity, right. I'm going to, I will have already scouted one full day where the deer have left their sign. And I'll have 10 cameras that's been out for 
you know, a month to kind of give me the reassurance of, you know, what I'm finding is true. So right. that's, that's pretty much where I stand at now. Right. It's, it's interesting, man. It's almost like you're doing an out of state hunt in state at this it point. It is, man. It is. And like, if you, if you know me, I only hunt large, large tracts of land. When I say large tracts, they're not real big, 5,000 acres or more. Right. Um, <clears throat> and I hunt it like it's my own farm. Like I literally, own, like, I feel like I literally own it. Like, I talked to the biologist about food plots and, and uh, deer density, and I ran my cameras just like I would on private land. I hang my stands just like I would on private land. I literally get out there and hunt like it's my own, yeah. but still stay respectable of other people. Right, for sure. So what a so, – so since you're kind of starting from scratch on this, on this, on this new piece – you know, it, it, it sounds like, you know, you're going to go out and get that day of scouting and you're going to hang your cameras and you're going to, you know, if things go south and it's just this, I don't want to assume they do like for you, for your sake, like your, you know, your, your home piece, if you will, but just for the purposes of our conversation, say you are going to make that move to that other, to that other piece, you know, what will, when you, so you put in the one day of scouting, you've got your 10 cameras out when you head back there, when you say, okay, this is my best option. I need to see what's going on on this piece. Like, well, let's back up for a second. When you're scouting, when you're on Onyx or whatever it is that you're using, what specifically online are you are you looking for? Are you looking for you know specific types of uh, topography features, and and which ones of those do you specifically like to key in on? Or are you looking at for for like you know where you can ser- like definitively see where there's an edge of habitat that occurs, like on the satellite image? Like, what type of things are you keying in on in those places? I'm definitely not a flatland hunter. I think it's a lot harder to kill a deer on a piece of flatland than it is hill country. So I like the hill country. Mm-hmm. And I always like to start at food, okay? Um, and I always like to work myself backwards because food food is a lot easier to find than bedding. Right. Um, and, you know, you can find the food from from even looking on, you know, you can find the food from your phone. Mm-hmm. You cannot find the beds from your phone. You have to physically find, you have to physically go right. to find them. So, you know, I'll start out backwards, man. I find all the food where I think all the food is, and then that's that's where I'll go in person. Then I will literally have two or three, you know, locations off that off that food, um, particularly points, you know, the, the typical beast style hunting. Right. And I will go check and I will literally go look for beds or I will literally try to run the deer out of them. Right. Okay. That that's uh that's how I work and I'm I'm not saying by no means I'm the best and this is a very old tactic that's kind of it's you know it's kind of mainstream right now and but it's very effective right so when you show up obviously at this point it's going to be it's going to be in season you know oh yeah so you know are you scouting any differently that now that it's in season and you're specifically kind of you know searching for hot sign or do you kind of approach the same way you even do whenever you're scouting during the during the off season is is there any difference between the two for you no man it's bad to food all all the time and it's good travel routes all the time man if, if you can find a good food source and a good bed with a good travel route in between man it's just it's money i mean it just it really is. Now, it's, I'm not saying it's that's kind of a hard thing, a harder thing to find. But right. man, if you spend if you spend enough time scouting or looking at your phone, like you can pick out two or three areas, and out of them two or three areas, you can go in one, and you can you will really feel good about it. Right. How does 
so when food sh- when food starts to shift, right? I assume, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. Like when you say find the food, like online, are you mainly looking for, you know, destination kind of ag sources which you're going to congregate congregate deer, and then from there, you might validate some additional food sources that are in the timber as you go in to scout those where you think the bedding might be off of that food and kind of validate, okay, there's, there's a couple oaks dropping here. There's a couple oaks dropping here to kind of figure out where your where those staging areas might be before they make it to ag. So is that kind of what you're talking about? That, that's exactly right. And which that's, I run into that a lot. So I'll start at the ag field mm-hmm. if I have them. And, and, and most of the places I hunt do have them or the ag fields aren't very far off the property line. Sometimes I may not physically be able to see them, right. but I, <laughs> I, I got the upper hand. I may fly a drone over there and see if it's corn or beans and, and, and figure it out that way. But right. I, I literally start there and work my way backwards. And, and a lot of times, man, like, you know, if you got a bunch of acorns dropping, that can be your worst enemy. It keeps the deer so scattered apart and yeah. they can literally be anywhere if there's a bunch of acorns. So that's one, that's one issue that I really, really run into is, yeah. is, a mass acorn crop. Yeah. I'm actually running into that right now on that piece that I want to hunt that, you know, that one terrain feature that the, the, you know, the mature deer keep kind of using this one specific funnel, but that property has acorns dropping everywhere. Like there's not a single Oak on that property. That's not dropping, you know, and it just makes Mm it, you know, to your point, it's like, man, they could, I mean, they don't have to leave their bed. (laughs) <laughs> wherever they're betting, you know what I mean? It's like they can probably just lay there and move, you know, five yards in any direction and, and find plenty to eat at that point, you know, um, which can make it, you know, pretty challenging. So, you know, I know you mentioned, you know, you're running cameras and stuff like that. So, you know, talk to me a little bit about, you know, in this particular instance, you know, I know you're putting these cameras out on this piece while you go and you do a day scout and stuff like that. What is it, you know, that you're specifically let me back up for a second. How is it you're specifically using these cameras? Are there certain types of terrain features you're going to focus on putting these cameras in? You know, I know you like to hunt hill country, so is there a certain elevation you like to use? Is there a certain, you know, will you put it in an oak flat whenever if you find a secondary food source or whatever? And then what type of intel specifically do you look for? Are you running on video mode? Are you looking for, like, you know, uh, direction of travel? You know, all those types of things. Like, what intel for you specifically from the trail camera data really kind of trips your trigger? Okay, so I like to get all of my cameras in between bed and food, um, basically, and I strictly run them for inventory purposes. Purposes like so many people ask me, like, you know, do you you run so many cameras? Do you how do you not depend on them? And I just don't like right. my scouting. My scouting dictates where I'm going to hunt at. My cameras dictate which area I'm going to go in. So, you know, if I got five bucks over here on 600 acres. And then two miles down the road, I got two bucks on 600 acres. I'm going to go where the five are. Right. Obviously, I'm, I'm, it's going back to me stacking. But right. um, mainly, man, like I won't. I think we're going the third weekend in October to this new piece, and I we're going in, and I'm going to look for. I've already got multiple locations picked out that I think deer will bed and deer will feed, and good travel routes in between so i'm gonna go in i'm gonna look for good heavily used trails and and, and scrapes mm-hmm. and i'm literally going to try to drop all these cameras on a good trail that has a scrape so that way you know i can get a good picture of a deer on the scrape 
And then if the scrape kind of dwindles off, the trail is still there for me to back up on. Like the camera is going to be working whether the scrape is there or not. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it totally makes sense. Yeah. So, and and that's that's how I do it, man. And then like I'll go in, and you know I I won't know right where to hunt by checking my cameras, but I'll know what deer are in the area. And because I've done my scouting missions from home or before, like I have like A, B, and C. Like okay. I got these five deer. There's a good chance he's he's going to be here on this wind. If he ain't, then I'll bounce to B. Well, then he may be here. And then eventually you either connect or, you know, you see the deer or he skirts you or, uh, you know, you, it's just a complete bust. I mean, it, nothing's never right. a guarantee. Just when, just when you think you got it figured out, man, you don't. And that's why, <laughs> white, that's why whitetail hunting is one of the best things that you can do, man. It's just they're all different. Yeah, man. That's that, I think that's the thing that I probably enjoy the most is just the, the unpredictable nature of it. You know what I mean? It's just, you know, you have a great plan. It's like, you know, like I think I have a decent plan for this year. You know what I mean? Like I have a couple areas that I feel pretty good about. I have a, a decent deer for the area on. And like you said, it's like, I could, he could be no show Jones all year. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, but it doesn't mean I won't be excited every time I walk in to try to hunt one of those spots. You know what I mean? Because my, you know, my scouting and my, my camera intel told me that I've done the work I need to do to put me, you know, at least give me an opportunity. And now I just, you know, have to see whether or not it all, whether or not it all comes together. But, you know, I'm curious, man, I know you like to hunt aggressively just in general, right? That's, you know, you like to, you stack the odds, right? But you're not going to wait for something to come to you. You're going to go try to make it happen. We've talked, we've talked about that, but, you know, do you feel like whenever you're in this situation where you're having to kind of make a plan on the fly to a degree, do you anticipate that you'll hunt even more aggressively knowing that, you know, maybe you don't have as much history with some of these deer or some of these areas um, and things like that to where you'll, you'll, you'll press the envelope a little harder. Maybe you'll hunt a wind that might be a little more iffy than you normally would, or, you know, maybe you'll press in closer to a bed than you normally would. How do you feel like you'll react in that, in that regard? Well, when you run that wind on a thread and needles is when you always do the best because the deer's doing the same thing. Right. Um, you know, the crosswinds are very, are a lot better than, than the winds hitting you in your face because I mean, a lot of times when you're hunting these beds or you're really trying to kill these deer off the wind, I mean, they're not dumb. That's how, you know, that's how, that's how they live. And so you're really riding it on a thread and a needle. And I've always, man, just been super aggressive, um, over the probably hunted public land, like 14 years. So probably over the last four or five years, I've been super aggressive. And I just know, man, like there's, there depends on which track you're on, but there's just so many big, more big deer than what people think on public land. So if, if you bump one, and you're hunting a large track, you literally just go find him or you move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. And that type of aggressiveness just, man, I just feel like it really pays off because I'm not one to sit back and I don't have time to sit and wait. Like I'm either going to kill you, try to kill you, or I'm going to run you out of there. One of the two. And sometimes, man, they don't even, it's overrated. Sometimes they don't, they do not leave. Right. Um, I've had a deer see me and wind me. And kill him, kill him out of the same tree the next week. <laughs> yeah, I th- I think people look. They're, they're smart animals, right? They live in that environment all year round. They know how to navigate it, you know. But I do agree with you. It's I've I think people are a little 
give, uh, how am I trying to say this? I think people think deer are more sensitive than they are. Right. Cause I think there's an element right to it, to a degree. And I talked about this. I don't know if you know, Greg Litzinger, um, or not, you know, or if you know of him or if you know him personally, but he's a good buddy of mine, you know, good public land hunter. And, uh, we talk about this a little bit, you know, and, and I think it varies on state to state, like where you're hunting. I think it's somewhat pressure dependent too, you know what I mean? To a degree, right. Cause I know for him in New Jersey, you know, if it's, you might get two cracks at a, at a deer, if he wins you or sees you, he might, you might see him one more time. He's like, but the second time, like for, for sure he, he's gone. Like you, you're not going to see him again. He may not have left the County, but like, you're definitely not going to see him in daylight. You know, he's, he's done with that noise. Um, I think in certain instances, you know, whether you're out in, you know, some really good spots in Ohio or, or good spots in Kentucky or Iowa or some of these, you know, states that maybe have a little less pressure, you might be able to get away with it a little bit more because maybe they don't see people as often. But what I will say is that if you bump them, especially out of a bed, you know, and we've talked about this before on the show, it's like that bed just, you just reaffirm to them why they chose that bed. Like that bed worked, you know what I mean? Like they, they winded you or they saw you or they heard you and they were able to escape. Therefore that bed did its job. So why wouldn't you use it again if you remain safe in that bed? Right. Do you think there's anything to that? Oh man, absolutely, man. And the thing about them, they're all different. So you don't never know how that they're going to act. But, um, I've talked about this in like last podcast and like, I'm fortunate enough, like a lot of these places I find, like I, I, I target in on them that literally that like people are there a lot, like they're either fishing or horseback riding. So that gets them, you know, more used to people. And that way, you know, the whole time you're bumping these deer, like, there's just a big difference in bumping a deer that that's used to seeing people on public land and walking into your private farm. That's a thousand acres and into the sanctuary and bumping your target deer. There's a big difference. Right. Um, and I think that by hunting public land and because of the pressure, I definitely have learned to use it to my advantage. When, when the parking lot got two or three vehicles in it, it doesn't bother Josh profit at all. Like I go in there I know what I know and I try, I try my best to get it done versus somebody that pulls, you know, that would pull up that doesn't know a lot. They're like, man, this place is so over hunted. But in all reality, man, the deer are just used to them and you just got to have to adapt and overcome and, and try to get them down. Right. Yeah. And just got to kind of know that you've probably done your, your homework, like to a degree that not only I, someone asked me this the other day, you know, cause I said something, they asked me something about hunting and it was someone who's, who's a non-hunter. They were just kind of interested and we were talking about it. And I said something about, you know, I had, I have a, a couple cameras that are set up that, yeah, I'm trying to watch deer or trying to find deer on those cameras, but I'm also setting them up in places where I want to see where people, how people are getting in and out and I'll set up yep. stuff to watch people so I can kind of monitor what they're doing so I can figure out where they're likely going to set up that way. I know, all right, that area is, I'm probably not going to want to use. And how is that going to change the deer? Like what, what's that going to make the deer do? One's and where's the next best cover for them to move to, you know? And, and then is there an opportunity for me to hunt that, that particular area? Right. Or is there pressure over there? So I guess talk to me a little bit. How do you specifically use pressure to your, to your advantage? Man, deer do, um, Deer do funny things. So the f- the first thing I look at when I hunt a piece of public is access. Everybody asks me that, like, what do you look at? I look at the access, and I look at how people are going in. And, man, just so many things. 
are are overlooked, man, and so many things are overthinked. Like I went in, and somebody told me about a big buck that had busted them um, this past week. You know, a mid forties buck right off the parking lot, totally overlooked. And man, I went in there and one time, and I'm telling you, I, I feel so confident that I broke that piece down and I could, and I found that deer. <laughs> um, I really do. in just that, that short amount of time, um, you, you can't overthink it. And you got to, you got to remember like why you're in there and like, you, you got to have fun. Right. Like you cannot get, you can't go up in there. You can't get down on yourself because there's 10 people in the parking lot. Um, you can't get down over yourself. If you bump a deer, you got to look at it like, man, I, like I found him. Like I was right. that close. Right. Yeah. I hear, I hear you. Cause I mean, I run into a lot of that, you know, here in PA, I mean, it's pretty, you know, a lot of hunting pressure around here. I definitely run into that in the parking lots where there's trucks or whatever. And, and I usually just kind of barrel into my spot, you know what I mean? Or where I'm going to, where I'm planning to go hunt, you know, cause I pretty much know that the spot that I've picked, like no one else is probably going to pick, you know? Um, it was funny. It was just <laughs> funny story was that the area where I'm kind of watching this one deer and I got, <clears throat> got a pretty good setup for this one spot. My buddy, uh, was texting me the one night and, uh, he asked me if I was out and I said, no, I said, you know, I got, you know, I'm waiting for an opportunity to, at the, you know, this one piece of public. Um, and he's one of those good buddies that I share my info with or whatever we share. Like if he sees deer, I see deer, we kind of share back and forth and he'll film for me sometimes. And I'll, I'll go in and I'll just film for him. I'll even take a bow and I'll just film him. Um, and, uh, he's like, where are you going? And I told him where that deer was at. And he was like, no way. And I sent him an onyx pin and he's like, dude, he's like, I'm set up 300 yards from your pin. You know, he kind of felt bad for like a second. And I was like, dude, like, don't sweat it, man. I was like, we're, we're all good. I was like, you're not the only guy who's on that piece. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I'm not worried about you walking in or whatever the case is. Like that deer has been living there all of his life. And so he's had people walk through there all of his life. It's not, I don't think it's going to change what he's going to do. You know what I mean? Now, maybe if you were in the area that I was going to set up in and he busted you, maybe it'd be a different story, but you know, I ain't, I ain't sweating, you know, us hunting the same piece that like, that's not my, that's not my worry. Cause there's going to be plenty of other people doing it. And I think probably over the past like two years or so, I've probably have do- adopted more of that philosophy. Cause it used to really bother me. Like I would get broke up about it and be kind of ticked off about it. But now I'm just like, I know where these guys are going to go and I'm not going to be anywhere near where they're at. And I'm just going to use what they're doing. I'm going to get it earlier cause they're probably going to come in later and they're going to leave midday, especially when we get to later October and November the guys that want to come out midday and I'm just going to wait for them to move the deer around. And I know I'm in places that are close to cover that they're going to want to get to. And so I just use that to use that to my advantage. Yeah. And I agree, man. I've always told everybody I'm normally the first one in and the last one out. And it, and that kind of helps me, I guess it's kind of a mind game because I really, unless I get walked in on, which doesn't happen hardly ever at all. Right. Like I, I don't ever see nobody. Right. Um, and I think a lot of times, like what people do not realize, it, you know, and I, I'm kind of gearing this towards public land because that's all I hunt, but like, yeah. you, you don't, you really don't know how close you're hunting to people. Yeah. Like you really, <laughs> you really don't. Yeah. And like, and if, and if you talk to some guys sometimes, like you'll realize like, oh man, I can't believe we was that close. Like I had to, I hate to say this, man. I had a guy slip into 40 or 50 yards of me last year and I never knew he was there till he was fixing to climb up the tree. He was being that stealthy. Now, he was on my downwind side. I wasn't really paying a lot of attention. Right. Uh, but he was being that quiet. And 
when he finally seen me, you know, he, he, he got out of there. He waved at me and he didn't know I was there. Right. And man, I really don't feel like he messed me up. I don't feel like he messed me up at all. He was on my downwind side. Um, I still seen deer that afternoon. And, you know, when I got back to the parking lot, it was a good experience. It was still a good experience. Like he'd come back and he, he apologized. He's like, man, I seen your truck. I didn't know where you were at. Right. Um, I'm, you know, I'm sorry I come in there and I'm like, I'm over that kind of stuff, man. I'm 34 years old. You know, the Lord's going to bless me either way. So I was just like, man, it ain't no big deal. You know, you didn't hurt me. Right. And so. That and how can you get mad at me? He's got no clue walking in where you're at. You know what I mean? You it's really like, don't, no. you know. And, and I think if he maybe a little waved at me and climbed up the tree, I maybe, there may have been a little <laughs> bit of a tension there. But right. it takes a really bad sportsman to do something like that. And that guy felt horrible. He didn't even hunt. Right. He told me, he said, man, I just went back to the truck and I waited for you to come out. And I, I felt kind of bad at that point. Cause I, I don't even remember where he was from, but it was somewhere out of state. Right. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> man, you just cannot, you cannot overthink this. You cannot take the fun out of it. No. And oh man, it's I one mean, of, that's, it's one of the few things that we still have that we still have left that can be fun. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, we do a good job of, of pulling the fun out of nearly everything else. You know what I mean? On our, on our own. You know, I don't know that we need to, uh, um, I don't know that we need to do that to hunting too. You know what I mean? So no, no, we all have kids. We all have jobs that we probably deep down really don't like. Right. And it's all stressful, man. So why stress over shooting something as simple as a deer, even if it's a giant man, why stress over it? Like just, just have fun, man. Just stay positive, have fun, keep your mind clear and, and just go get it. Yeah. And if you do those things, man, I think you be, people will be surprised like how, how much more, well, one, how much more enjoyment they'll get out of it. And then probably two, how much more success they get out of it. Right. Cause you start to define success a little differently at that point then, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. I mean, success is, is measured in so many ways. Like I've had some deer that I didn't get to shoot that I beat them. I, I mean, I hands down, I beat them. I mean, I've had them right there. You know, I, I've been hunting with a longbow for three years now. I had a deer last year at 40 yards for 20 minutes. We're talking 150 inch deer. Mm-hmm. He was dead. He was dead to rights. I beat that deer a hundred times. Yep. He never knew I was there. He come right in on me. I didn't feel comfortable shooting that far. And he walked out and, and he never knew I was there. That deer was beat. I might yep. as well have killed him, but he's not on my wall. Right. Yeah. No, I feel the, I feel the same way, man. It's like, there's, there's some days, you know, when you put all the puzzle pieces together that that's to me, I don't know, man, like, look, don't get me wrong. Like I want to put a deer on the ground as bad as the next, the next guy. Like, so I don't want to make it sound like that. I don't want to, you know, that I don't want to, you know, achieve that goal. But there's been times where it's like, I had a deer that I wanted to see. I had the encounter just shot opportunity, whether it was a little bit of brush in the way or the instance you had there where it was maybe a little further outside of my comfort zone that I wanted to take a shot based on the, the terrain I was hunting in or whatever. And I'm like, man, that was it. I put the puzzle pieces together. Like the strategy worked, you know what I mean? Like the, the, the strategy of it worked. I did everything except seal the deal, you know, on it. And, and to me on, in some instances, that's all right. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I don't know. I, I have, I get as much enjoyment out of knowing that I thought, you know, how do I say this, that my thinking was correct. Like I almost get as much enjoyment to know that like I, I thought through things the right way and that I had, and I was at the right spot at the right time. Self-confidence. Yeah. You know what I mean? And it just, and that, go ahead. 
that and that comes with a clear conscience man if you're if you're stressed out or not having fun then you're not going to have the confidence and you uh it's just like you know when i shoot this trad bow man it's all confidence if i'm not confident if i'm not confident i'm not going i'm not going to pick my spot and hit if i'm confident man i normally do i normally do really good and i know i'm kind of going off on a little tangent here but man if you're hunting hard sometimes whether it's public or private land and you're just drained there's a big difference in making mistakes because you've got sloppy versus making mistakes when you're really trying. Yep. And if, if you're making mistakes because you're getting sloppy and you're tired and you're wore out, man, sleep in, don't hunt that morning or don't hunt that evening. Like get your rest, get your mind right, eat good, regroup, you know, hit the maps, check a couple cameras, whatever you need to do and go back out with a clear conscience and get after it. Yeah. I mean, I know, you know, when I was hunting with Chad there in Southern Ohio the one year, you know, it was a tough hunt. I think the two of us, like we saw six deer between the two of us in like whatever it was, nine days, 10 days of all day sits, you know what I mean? And I remember, I forget what day it was. I think we were like five days in or whatever. And we were, you know, going to go out the next morning, you know, for another all day or, and it just happened to be raining and not like a little bit of rain. Like it was, it was raining. And we both, <laughs> you know, not like the kind, like you're willing to go hunting, like the kind, like you, you get right. you're soaked between the time you get outside to the time you get into the truck, like you're already soaked and like rain gear is not helping you in this situation. Um, and we got up, we hit our alarm, you know, I looked at him like out of one eye and this is the year we were sleeping in, he had the Exodus pool behind trailer and we were sleeping in like the, at the campsite in the trailer is what, is what we were staying in that those 10 days. And, uh, Rain's just pounding and I get up and I look at him and I'm like, man, I'm not going out in this. He's like, yeah, me there. And I was like, dude, I'm beat. He was basically like, yeah, me too. So we, we hit the alarm, went back to bed. I think we still got up at like 6am or whatever. You know, we didn't sleep in, you know, too terribly late. We got up, it was still raining, you know, and we just looked at each other. I was like, you want to go to town and get breakfast? It was like, yeah. So we just sat there. We talked about kind of planning out the rest of our days, you know what I mean? Like the hunts, like what are, what areas we wanted to hit, like what we think was going on. Why weren't we seeing the deer we should see? We sat, we had a cup of coffee together, drove into town, had a good breakfast, came back, got ready, dude. And that was like two things. One, the hunting we had after that, like we were way more focused cause we were like ready to get back in the woods. Cause we had a chance to re kind of calibrate regain plan, you know, and then hit it again. The second thing was right. that's probably the most memorable memorable day of that hunt was just like being able to hang out, have a cup of coffee and, and chat with him. You know what I mean? So it was like that time we just got to spend and hang out and talk is like probably one of the best memories of that trip for me. Exactly. I think we talked about that on our last podcast we did. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> coming full. It definitely so, left its mark. Yeah. Yeah. For sure, man. For, yeah. We still talk about, uh, we still talk about that trip. That's for sure. So man, you know, where are you at now? Like, you know, I know we talked about what your kind of plan is. You're going to, you're going to hit that piece. You're going to hang some cameras, right? Do a quick day scout, you know, where are you at, do you think, in the process, you know, mentally and physically of kind of making making the plan? Like, I know it's going to, like, evolve as you get there and as you put boots on the ground and stuff like that. But, you know, I guess give me a sense of, like, from the scouting you've been able to do this point and just, like, knowing yourself and, like, your ability to kind of cut up a chunk, a chunk of timber or whatever, what, what's your confidence level going into this, into this year, into this, like, new scenario? My confidence is still high, but 
I don't know how to explain it, but I'm not, I don't feel really good about it, but I don't feel really bad about it. It's weird. Uh, you asked me if I knew Greg, me and Greg were actually talking today. Yeah, nice. Um, yeah, through text and, you know, I'm sure he'll listen to this, but like, I really, really do appreciate the positive vibes he gave me because very rarely do I get down and, Man, when you find, you know, two your two biggest deer dead and every time you check cameras, like it's really hard not to get down. Yeah. And, you know, like I, I said I do hunt mainly one charge one large track of land. So, you know, pretty much all my eggs are in one basket. Um, mm-hmm. mentally, I I'm staying positive, but I am worried physically. Uh, there's nothing that's gonna stop me back physically. I mean, I'm I'm in pretty good shape. Mm-hmm. But I do. I wish I could tell you how my season was going to turn out, but it's going to be interesting because I don't know. Um, I do know that I'm not giving up on where I'm hunting at. Right. I'm going to keep doing what I'm. I, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. But I know come Halloween weekend, if if um, something doesn't show up, or you know, two or three bucks doesn't show up, that I'd feel confident hunting. Like I'm going to, I'm going to pull and go somewhere else, and hope and hopefully this new piece I'm checking out, it's. It's over 10,000 acres. It only offers a two-day gun quota hunt. That's it. So I feel like the potential for for a, for a good deer, a good deer number of three of uh, bucks three years old or older is there. Right. Um, so I got a feeling that I'm going to be okay, man. Right. I feel like over, over the years of what I've learned and what I've done, I think I can get out there in two or three trips and walk, you know, 35, 40 miles easy. And, um, I really do feel like I can get on some deer, whether I can kill one, I don't know, but I really don't care. Right. Um, as long as, as long as I'm having fun, um, that's all that matters right. to me. As long as you're having fun and you're, and you're giving yourself a chance, putting yourself in the game, you know, that's, that's all you can ask for a lot of years. I mean, I think that's a lot of, you know, what folks can ask for just in general, regardless of, of you know, where they're hunting. I had one question though, man, like, cause I know you were talking about the, where you were going to, how you're going to set your cameras up. Like you were going to basically focus on heavy run, heavy run trails that have a scrape on it. That way, whether the scrape is active or not, you're still going to get inventory. Now, when you go to set up the hunt, and I don't know that I've ever asked you this, but you know, are you a scrape hunter in general? And if not, or if so, regardless of what that answer is, will that be different this year based on having to kind of change, you know, up your, your, your approach because you're going to a brand new piece and you're trying to dissect it quickly. I'm not a big scrape hunter, but I will say this from years and years of running cameras and I've, I've got close to, I've got over 40 cameras this year. If you can find a really good scrape line and I'm talking like a lot of times this is on a ridge top or a logging road. If you can find a really good scrape line and you can hit that where uh, you've got a good steady rain for a day or something like mm-hmm. them bucks, they really will want to come clear out some of them scrapes I, without a doubt. Right. And so if all the stars were to line up and I, and I did find a good scrape line and you know, there was a good rain and I, and I'd got pictures of a good deer using them before. Oh yeah, absolutely. I would be trying to get my wind right, getting all around them right. for sure. Okay. Now do you, I'm trying to figure out how to ask, ask this next question i'm trying to see here how to how to to frame this so you're not typically a a scrape hunter right is there is there a reason why that would maybe maybe i guess would your mind change like what would you have to see let me ask it this way what would you have to see in order to change your mind and then two 
what are you focusing on when you're setting like your specific, you know, stand locations? Like, is there, is there a terrain specific terrain feature you're looking for? Is there a certain type of sign that you're prioritizing that you want to see to set up near, like what, what do those setups look like? So my cameras, it all goes back to my cameras. Like my cameras, I strictly use them for inventory. Now, it would be different if I put a camera in a place where I was really dependent on it to try to kill the deer, which right. I never do. So my camera, I just put it in a place where I, I really think it it takes it will have the best odds for taking the most pictures of the buck in there and general bucks in there. And a lot of times that's at night. Right. Um, so, you know, let's just say that I, I put this camera out, this inventory camera, and it's just stacked with bucks and half of them are day or half of them are night. So I don't, I don't feel real bad about hunting over the camera, but I don't feel real, real good about it neither. Mm-hmm. So I, beforehand, I'm either going to have a, a, a place that I want to sit cause I've physically seen it mm-hmm. or I'm going to be looking on a map like, okay, like even though. I don't know why that they're hitting this big community scrape right here in this bottom, but coming off this point here is, is just nasty. Like this totally makes sense for the deer to walk right here before they get to that scrape. And the deer may turn and never go to the scrape and they may, you know, cut down this ridge and sent and sent check these does, or they just may this may be how they walk down. So that's where I'm going to be at. Um, okay. I very rarely hunt right over a camera. Right. Okay. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. No, it, it, it does. I mean, it, it's, you know, so whenever you're, when you're finding stand locations, you know, like you said, like you're using your cameras for inventory and stuff like that, but your stand locations are likely going to be where you think how, basically how to the set up in an area in which the deer would have to use to get to where your camera location was. I guess, you know, what I was more kind of wanting to get at, like, is that usually like, you know, is that usually a saddle that you like to focus? Do you like to focus on saddles? Do you like to focus on pinch points? If it's, if there's field edges nearby, are you looking for a corner? Are you looking for a double inside corner? Are you, you know, like those types of things? Is there something usually that you're seeking out in those areas if you can find it? Or is it, or is it more when you have boots on the ground, you're just kind of letting the area speak to you and you're like, this is where I think I need to be. Man, when I got the boots on the ground, I, I, very rarely do I guess at it anymore. So I normally know. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of times, like sometimes a lot of this stuff doesn't make any sense to me. Like I got one of my best cameras, man. Like it, I know where the deer are bedding in this private clear cut, but I don't know why they cut through this bottom. It, it still to this day, it does not make any sense to me, <laughs> but they're, but they're there a lot. And so, you know, what I'll do is, you know, I am, I, I am a topography hunter because it doesn't matter if it's the rut or not. Like these deer run these hills. If, mm-hmm. if they live in them, they run them. And so you got, you got to figure out that how they, how your deer run your property. So, and then a lot of times you, you spoke about edges, man, deer love edges. If, if you've talked to any experienced hunter, they'll tell you like a deer will run an edge, like he'll run the edge of a clear cut or they'll yeah. run the edge of a, of open timber where it gets a little thicker or he'll run the edge of a field or a ditch line. So those are things, all things that I look at, like the cameras down here, it's not the deer there for inventory. It's not making any sense why they're there, but, but up above it, they clear cut 400 yards away. They clear cut right here 
and there's this perfect edge that the deer run, like that's where I'm going to be at. Yeah. That's the one thing for me. It's like, you know, in these new pieces, that's the first place I'll go. It's like, cause what you were saying earlier, where it's, you know, I hunt a lot of flat land around here in Eastern PA, right? There's, you know, there's not very many places that I hunt that I get any type of significant, you know, elevation change or whatever. And you're right, man. It's hard. Like, cause it's just, it's like they could be anywhere. Right. And so I really have to, you know, what I'll focus on when I'm scouting a new piece is I'm just going to look to find the thickest, nastiest places, and I'm going to get on the edge of that, and I'm going to walk, and I'm going to look for sign. Like, and that's kind of how I start to break down a piece around here, because I've tried other ways, and, like, I I prefer, I'm similar to you, it's like, I prefer hunting hill country, because that's what I grew up hunting, and that's what I like to hunt. I like to hunt places that have big ridges, deep hollows, um, you know, I like to get up on that you know, two thirds of the way up the side of a ridge, you know what I mean? And, and hunt that and hunt that area and just, you know, down from the top, because I know that bucks like to cruise that area or I like to hunt a ridge top as you was, were talking about. There's a place in Ohio that I have that on a piece of public that I love to hunt that, you know, I'm close to the ridge top and it's just always tore up with scrapes and there's always bucks up there. You know, every year that I've hunted there, I've, I've had good deer, you know, up there. Um, but so I've had a little bit of a transition here on the Eastern part of PA because like, I don't really have any of that. And so I've had to really depend on, finding find an edge and finding little ditches near swamps where like the water or the rain runoff is going to run into the swamp and create a little ditch and create you know little pinch points between the ditch itself and the brush or the swamp and the edge of the swamp and that's kind of where i've found some of my better setups where you know camera placements or you know uh trees i'm gonna hunt um you know and so it's been a little bit of a learning curve for me but the the edge for me has been key and just, that's always a really good starting point, uh, starting point for me. Um, uh, but you'd mentioned, you know, those deer coming into the bottom. So I want to get a sense from you, man. Like, you know, I know you like hunting hill country and stuff like that, but do you try to avoid hunting the bottoms? Just knowing that, you know, it's, it's hard to get a consistent wind and the wind can be way fickle when you start to get into those bottoms. And, and do you prefer to try to stay up high and keep elevation so you can kind of control what your wind's going to do, or at least have a better sense of what your wind's going to do consistently? Man, I normally go up high and I'm not sure, so sure that I hurt myself sometimes because me and Greg were talking, this was uh, last week or so. I'm like, man, I'm, I'm like struggling finding these beds. I'm struggling finding sign. I'm struggling finding deer. I don't know if it's because they're not there or they're dead. And he was just like, well, have you looked, looked in the bottoms? And I was just kind of like, well, no, <laughs> no, I haven't, man. I haven't. And, you know, shame on me, but that's a good thing about having a buddy that you can kick ideas off with. But right. man, the main reason I don't normally go to the bottoms is because man, they can just walk anywhere. Yep. You know, a lot of times there's no rhyme or reason. They're just cutting across that open ground, and it's it's more of a guessing game than it is up top. Right. Um, you know, you got to roll the dice a lot more when you're in the bottom than you do our than you do the top. But man, they yeah, I think that they do run them bottoms. You know, especially if you got some food or water down there. I, I'm just not the best at at hunt at hunting the bottoms. I'll say that. Right. Yeah. Well, it's 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 funny. It's you know there's a couple pieces on a family property that I, that I, I've hunted a lot. And I used to like to hunt the bottoms because there was a ton of sign in the bottoms, but I would always get busted hunting down there. And I didn't start having like my best encounters until I, st- until I started hunting some elevation. And then I started having way better encounters. And it's just, I was always playing. I, I was always behind the eight ball trying to play the wind in, on the, in those bottoms. And I was just kind of screwing, screwing myself to a degree. 
Um, but it was always so attractive because I had put a camera down there, man. And just like you were saying, I would have just piles of deer stacked up on cameras in the bottoms all the time. And so I'd want to hunt the bottom and then I would just, you know, I would get blown up or I wouldn't see deer or they would win me because my wind would be wrong or it would shift in, in the middle of the hunt or whatever the case was, or it would shift back and forth during the course of the hunt. But I think it's cool, man, that you and Greg, that you and Greg talk, man, because, uh, um, it's always good to have hunting buddies like that, man, to bounce stuff off of. Like I certainly do it to him. That's for sure. You know, he and I go back and forth and he's, uh, he's actually been my archery sensei to a degree. Like that's the guy who I, who's kind of been my, my archery coach, if you will. He's kind of taken the past two years and really kind of helped me go from being a guy who shoots a bow to a guy who is an archer. Um, so he's definitely a good dude. Oh yeah, I agree. I think, I think that there's a hunt involved will be lined up for him and I in the future sometime. Like I, I think him and I are going to hit the field together sooner or later. Nice. Well, I better be on that itinerary, dude. It's all I'm saying. <laughs> I, better be, I yeah. better be included in that. I, I think maybe something like you, Litzinger, me, Rodeo, get old Chad Rodeo Sylvester down there and go somewhere and do yeah. a hunt. So I need to, uh, I need to elaborate on something on Chad. So me and Chad, We've kind of become really good friends, and we really bump some heads. Do you know? Like, uh, it's like <laughs> a, it's like I, I, I'm pretty sure we're, we're both alphas. So when you put him and I together, it's just like we're constantly like running into each other all day. I'm like, man, you just try to keep up. And he's like, no, you try to keep up. <laughs> so I would love to take Chad to a place, and I don't know if I could ever do it, but I won't. I'll. I'll admit it. Like I would love to just run that guy on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, dude. I love it. I love it. I'm literally going to text him when we get done here. Just be like, dude, the challenge has been thrown out, brother. Like it's public. Like you got, you got to step it's it up. Public, Like Chad <laughs> Sylvester, like I really don't think you can hang with me. And I just made it public. I really don't think you can hang with oh, me. Even man. though your arms are bigger than me. I know, right? I don't think you're I don't think you can hang with me. Dude, that dude could probably wake up and run like a four four forty. Like he's just like a freak athlete. Like I I went uh we were hunting Ohio together last year and uh a different, not, not deep Southern Ohio, just more you know, in, in the central, central South. I guess people still consider it Southern Ohio, but it's really kind of in the center. Um, and my buddy Tate went with us. Um, and Tate's a, I did a podcast with him and Tate's kind of been, you know, he's a, an older, older fella. Uh, he's a really good friends with my father-in-law and he's the guy who really introduced me to bow hunting, um, and got me started really. Um, and so, you know, love that guy, you know, he's like family, and I uh, love hunting with him. And so we went out to scout there. I guess it was a, a, a late winter, early spring, the one year. And Tate was going with us because the three of us were going to go hunt together. And uh, and I told and I warned him and it was like it'd be like it'd be like going with you as well as what I'm kind of finding out. And I told him, I was like, hey, man, I was like, you know, if you need to like lay back or whatever, you know, don't feel like you need to keep up. I was like, because, dude, I was like. Chad's like a former, you know, D one football player, rodeo guy. I was like, and he's just one of those freak dudes that like could probably roll out of bed, bench press two fifty, and then run a four four forty. I was like, he's just like an athlete. I was like, he's a freak. You know, and so he's like, okay, yeah, yeah. So we're going through the woods or whatever, and Tate's trying to keep up, and at one point we stop <laughs> and I check on him and I'm like, dude, what's going on? He's like, Man, he's like, that boy just looks like he glides through the woods. He was like, his legs are so long. He's like <laughs> 
he's like, he's like, it's not even like he's on like the ground. He's like, it's like he's floating. I'm like, I know, dude. And I, I mean, he would hang a set like in that one area in Ohio. He was down, had a bunch of cameras out, and this is the Southern Ohio piece. And he hung some sets, and you know, some like they were basically they were just hung in like good spots that he knew like from year over year. And he was like, hey, you know, I was planning to hunt this one area. He's like, if you want to go hunt over here because I wanted to hunt this one ridge, he's like, I've already hung a set there. He's like, so you don't need to carry anything in. And I was like, all right, cool. I just happened to take a stick with me. Just I don't even know why I took one. But I took a stick with me and I got there and I'm glad I did because, dude, he had those things so spaced out that I literally had to use a, st- a stick in between steps or in between sticks to get to it because <laughs> the guy's like six one, and he's like at a six one, he's like five eight of legs. You know what I mean? I'm like all of five eight. You know what I mean? So it's like I couldn't even like I had to put an extra <laughs> stick up just to get into the freaking stand. But uh, no, nah, man, it's like I would love to hunt with you and Chad. That would be that would be a good time. I feel you know, I feel fortunate that I have buddies like you, Chad and Greg and stuff like that. Not just from hunting, man. Cause you guys are just good people in general, man. So, you know, I'm deer hunting in this podcast has given me more than I could ever, ever ask for. That's for sure. As far as, as far as friends and, and buddies. So I, I appreciate you, man, and your friendship. And, uh, I hope one day we get to do some hunting together. Oh, for sure, man. And, and just to elaborate, man, like, you know, you know, I've covered like very, various topics you've done like a bunch of podcasts but like what you and i are talking about like right now man that's what it's really about and people need to they need to realize that and not forget it like this is why we do it yep 100 percent, man fine i always say man like find good hunting buddies that that if you're a grinder find good hunting buddies that like to grind like you and don't let them go no, whatever it is, oh, yeah. if you get have an argument about something, man, or whatever, you know what I mean? It's like, let that, let that shit go and make amends because good people like that are, aren't around every corner, you know what I mean? And so oh, no. do what you can nope. to hold on to those folks and, you know, and, um, you'll, your life will be richly rewarded because of it, you know? So I don't know, man, I think that's probably a pretty good place to end, dude. I think that was, uh, I think that was a pretty poignant place to kind of wrap things up. What do you think? Man, I feel good about it, and I, I just want to say, you know, the same thing that uh, I say to everybody, man, dude, put your family and God first before you do anything, and, you know, the day that, that hunting becomes before your family or God, like, it's, you're leaving the house and you're not even successful, so, yeah. um, Hear that. just something to stick in your hip pocket, and, uh, yeah, man, I, I feel like that's a wrap, I feel good about it, and I have fun, I appreciate you having me on and reaching out to me. Yeah, man, you bet. Before I let you go there, man, why don't you let folks know where they can follow along with your uh, with your season? Where can they find out more about Mr. Josh Prophet? Um, man, I'm I'm not real involved in social media. All I got is Instagram, and you can find me there at bg underscore bowhunter. That's me. Um, I'm pretty heavily active with uh, Chad and them at Extra Trail Cameras. We uh, have a short film coming out with them here real soon that I'm pretty excited about. So. That's where you can find me, brother. Nice, man. Maybe when that comes out, we'll have to do a little a little chat again, get chat, get Chad, old rodeo on here, me, you, and him, and do a little round table and talk about the film and, and, and get that thing launched. Oh, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> him and I had some interesting conversations spending uh, two days together. I'd love to get him on the other end of this line. It's, it's dead, man. I, I, will, I will just be the instigator and let you two go and just hit record. It'd be great. I'd love it. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. I'm still gonna take him down. Just I'm gonna make that clear. Right. I love it, dude. It's it's gonna happen. That's got to be on film too. I'm gonna film that. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right, man. Well, I'll let you get going, brother, man. Thanks for, thanks for coming on and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Good luck to you this season. And man, we're always in touch. So I'll, I'll talk to you probably in the next couple of days. All right, brother. I appreciate it. Thank you. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank Josh for joining. Be sure to give him a follow on Instagram and check out the video, uh, the video that he recently did with our friends from Exodus. You can find that on Exodus is Exodus is uh, YouTube channel. Of course, I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five star rating. It would be super appreciative if you would do that uh, for me. And before we shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Blue Coffee Company, Gumleaf USA Boots, Obsession Bows, Ramcat Broadheads, Trophy Taker Rests, Day 6 Gear, and Dead Down Wind. And until next time, we'll see y'all. Makes me proud, makes me steal. I could show you through the door. If it all It takes a special No one to call up for Damaged heads Broken letters Rationalize yourself in numbers But I Gotta get away From All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.